Welcome to Midweek, a place where we dive deep into Scripture. So grab your Bible, a pen, and a notebook, and get ready to study God's Word. Today we're going to look at the, the title I've picked out is Losses in the Land of Victory slash Sin in the Camp Part 2. We did Part 1 uh, two weeks ago because we missed us because at that seminar in... Um, in Arizona, and one thing I want to tell you guys before we go, if you look in your notes at, uh, let's see, you look in your notes um, at the, the third bullet point on uh, Aiken's mistakes, look at your notes, and down there it says Psalm 35, do you see that right there? Okay, it should be Psalm 32, I made a mistake there, and so it should be Psalm 32, and so since I made a mistake, I typed it up that way, and today I was looking, and I go, that doesn't really sound right in my head, I better look that up, and good thing I did, because it's not right. So um, what, we, what we come to tonight is uh, <clears throat> Joshua, he has his like first major leadership crisis in his life. Because here's what's happened, guys. Something happened that shouldn't have happened. Because they really should not have lost the battle of AI, correct? That happened, but it shouldn't have happened. And so now... He comes back and is like, what, what? he doesn't know what's going on here. And so from a leadership perspective, let me just tell you that when you encounter your first crisis, the first thing you try that doesn't go right or doesn't go the way you think, it can really throw you off balance. It can throw off your spiritual equilibrium. Have you ever experienced that before? Because now you're wondering, what did I do wrong? Or God, why didn't this work out? And I've had quite a few of those, okay? And so everybody, and by the way, Everybody in the camp now, because things went wrong, who do you think they're looking at for answers now? They're looking at Joshua. It's the same as parenting when something goes wrong. Your kids, if something goes wrong, who are they looking at? They're looking at you. You're the one who has to fix it. They think you can fix everything, amen? And sometimes you're just guessing many times at what to do in situations, and you're hoping you're guessing right at the situation. Now, review. What did Joshua, this is two weeks ago, what did Joshua do wrong that had them lose this battle at Ai? The first thing he did wrong, if you remember, it's not in your notes, it's just reviewing. Remember the first thing he did, he sent the spies out, they come back, all he wanted was some information on what they were facing. But they tell Joshua, we only need about 3,000 soldiers, that's a piece of cake, let's go get it. And he listens to them instead of listening to God. Listen. These are the soldiers and ranks. Joshua's the leader. He listens to God. He's got to be the one to listen to God and listen to what God says to tell him what to do. Look, can I tell you something about church that you don't think about at times? The shepherds are the leaders, and you have to listen to them. You have to see where they're going, because they're the ones who are listening to God, better be listening to God. The problem with some churches is they start listening to the deacon board or the people, and they start letting the deacon board or the people run the church. That's wrong. That's an imbalance right there. You've got to let the shepherds run the spiritual organization because God has called them to do that. And so the pressure is on the shepherds to seek God. They, he listened to the, to the soldiers. But there's another thing he did. The soldiers said to him when they came back, they said, look, it's a piece of cake. We don't need more than 3,000 guys to go take this place. Now think of what they're doing. They are comparing. What are they comparing AI to? This new little city there, this place. Jericho, 
Jericho was a fortified city, walls, and so they compare Jericho to this place, and they go, this is a piece of cake. And when we compare, boy, like the New Testament says, we're without understanding. And in this case, the result was they underestimate the enemy because they compared. Never compare. You approach everything from a perspective of, some, of, of new. You're going to start from scratch here. Now, Joshua is so off balance in this whole situation that in verse, uh, I think it's verse, uh, I can't remember what verse, early on, he tells God that God, he says, why did you ever bring us across the Jordan? Why did you bring us here? We should have stayed on the other side. We, we, now you hear how off balance spiritually Joshua is right now? This is not the way this leader should be talking because now he's questioning your eyes. He's questioning all kinds of things around him. And so finally, Joshua decides that I'm going to seek God. And I love the thing that Joshua says in verse 9 of chapter 7. He's worried about the name of God. Do you ever walk around and in your life you worry that your life is living up to serving because you don't want to smear the name of God? That's a very healthy way to live, is it not? If you go back and read the life of Moses, Moses, periodically, he is worried that the name of God will be smeared, and he doesn't want that to happen. He wants God's name to be always elevated. And in our lives, that's one of the chief goals of our life, that we would walk in a manner that God's name would never be brought low because of the way we carry ourselves, what we say in situations, how we act, interact with people. We want to live what God wants to live. Now, They've suffered a major, major loss in the land of victory. We're going to do two things in your seat today. First, as we get there, we're going to, um, we're going to look at, because you guys know it's Achan who sinned, right? We all know that by now. Most of us do anyway. Okay, you know your Bible a little bit. So we're, first, when we get there, we're going to look at Achan's sin. Where did Achan go wrong? And then after that, we're going to re- back up, and we're going to look at how they exposed the sin in the camp to get things on track again. So it's a twofold kind of approach in this chapter. So chapter 7 of Joshua and verse 10, and it says this. Now, <clears throat> so the Lord said to Joshua, rise up. Why is it that you have fallen on your face? Now, what's God just told Joshua? Get up, man. Get up. Come on. It's time to go. Now, question. How long has Joshua and Israel been on their face on the ground repenting? All day. All day. It's nighttime now. They have been all day. Why does God let them lay on their face all day and now it's evening? Now he says, get up. Why did you tell them to get up earlier in the day? The same reason he lets us stew in our mistakes. Does he not? Oh, he lets us stew, baby. And why does he let us stew in our mistakes? Because it's one of the best ways that Jimmy Fields, no, Jim Del Campo, will learn his lesson. Because I don't want to do that again. Because I don't want to make that mistake again. So he lets them stew in it. Josh, you're going to stew in this. You're going to learn your lesson. Because you see, Joshua now is going to realize one big thing. My way doesn't work. God's way works. So Joshua, and why he lets us stew, is that so we don't repeat cycles. Any amens? Because it's very easy to repeat patterns in our life, is it not? You probably know someone or related to someone, you're thinking, when are they ever going to learn? They keep repeating cycles and repeating cycles and repeating cycles. 
And God is trying to teach them, don't do it your way. Do it God's way. Now, I like the way God says it. Keep your marker here. Turn to Proverbs chapter 3 to your right. Proverbs 3. Proverbs 3. When you're there, say, I'm there. Okay, now, this is a well-known verse. We, we know this verse. And read five of the verses in uh, verse, uh, we're going to go verse 5 to verse 10. It says, trust in the Lord with what? All my heart, not partial heart, all my heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. Oh, okay, so I'm not to lean on my own thinking. Now, the secularists, the atheists say, see, you, just, you Christians just check your mind in at the door. No, we don't. We think it through through the will of God and the word of God is what we do. Now, he says, in all your ways, how many ways are those? All my ways. Acknowledge him, God, and he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes, Jim. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Now watch this. If I do these things, it will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your produce, so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. Anybody want that? I mean, I want that. And the reason why I let verse 9 and 10 in there, you may think, well, why is verse 9 and 10? Why are we talking about that tonight? Because you've got to remember what has happened in that city. What went wrong? They took God's stuff. Remember that? Any amens of that one right there? Now, keep that thought. Now, let's go back to Joshua. So we're to lean on God, lean on his understanding, and not our thinking process when it's contrary to the will of God. Look at verse 11. It says, Israel, this is God speaking, Israel has what? They've sinned, and they have transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them, and they have even taken some of the things under the ban, and have both stolen and deceived. Moreover, they, they have also put them among their own things. Mm. Now, so here's what went wrong, Joshua. Point number one in your notes, if you're taking notes, we always have the, the paperwork at the door there. Israel has sinned by taking what belongs to God. Israel has sinned by taking what belongs to God. Now, we know, if we've studied the Bible for a while, we know Achan took it, right? But notice the terminology that God uses in verse 11. He says, Israel has sinned. Not Achan has sinned. Israel has sinned. That's interesting, right? Because it's telling us that how one person's sin can affect everybody. Our sins can affect the family. Our sins can affect the church. Our sins, they have effect. They go further than just ourself in our life. Now, <clears throat> secondly, he says in verse 11, he says, they've stolen, they've taken things under the ban. They've stolen, they've deceived. In other words, uh, and moreover, end of verse 11, they have also put them among their own things. In other words, says, they've taken and put them among their own things, but who really owns them? God owns them. Oh, so now we see that they've deceived everyone and they've taken God's stuff and they think God's stuff is, is their stuff. Ah, and so now we begin to understand Jericho, remember, was the first city to take, remember? So therefore it's the first fruit, remember? And the first fruits belong to God, remember? And we just read Proverbs 3 and verses 9 and 10. We're talking about the first fruits you give to God. Any amens? And so the tithe belongs to God, does it not? Here's a thought. What if God tonight said to every Christian, you know what, I want all the tithe you never gave to me and I want interest on it right now. 
Would there be wailing and gnashing of teeth in the churches? Yeah, it'd be like hell on earth. <laughs> that was a terrible statement, wasn't it? But, but no, what if it was true? What if God demanded that? That would be crazy, would it not? Now, let's move on to uh, verse 12 of Joshua, Joshua 7. Therefore, the sons of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their backs before their enemies, for they have become a curse. Say accursed. I will not be with you any more unless you destroy the things under the ban. Say ban. From your midst. Now, point two in your notes. If you do not fix it, I will exit. If you do not fix it, I will exit. He said, I will not be with you until you get this stuff right. Here's what's interesting. I had you say accursed. That's one of the words. I had you say ban. That's another one of the words. Those two are the same word in Hebrew. They're exact same word. And so the idea of the word is, it's a doomed object. In other words, you and every, you're a doomed object if you don't fix this thing right now. Don't bother going forward. Don't bother going after the city because you are doomed in your efforts unless we get this right, right now. Now, verse 13. Rise up. Consecrate the people and say, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, has said, there are things under the ban in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until you have removed the things under the ban from your midst. In other words, I, you know, like you got my stuff, and you better give that thing up right there. Now, very quickly, look at verse 13. First, God says, he says to Joshua, consecrate the people. Now, and then he says, then the consecrate yourselves tomorrow. See that? There's two consecrations right there. We've talked about this before in sanctification. That first off, when we get saved, become born again, Jesus consecrates us. Does he not? We're declared righteous. We are holy. We walk in these things. We're set apart. But then also consecrate yourself, which is this idea that not only now I've been consecrated by God, but now I have to walk in my life step by step and consecrate myself. I have to deal with the things in my life. I have to change them through the power of the cross, the Holy Spirit, the blood of Jesus gives me all the power that I have to consecrate myself and I have to walk in the things of God. Does that make sense? So I'm in right standing with God at all times, so I never have to worry about that, but now I have to walk in newness of life and start to walk out my faith with fear and trembling. Amen to that one? Now, <clears throat> now watch this. I have to read seven, eight verses, 14 to 21. Then we're gonna look at Achan's mistakes. Here we go. In the morning, then you shall come near by your tribes. And it shall be that the tribe which the Lord takes by lot shall come near by families. And the family which the Lord takes shall come near by households. And the households which the Lord takes shall come near man by man. It shall be that the one who is taken, who is taken with the things under the ban, shall be burned with fire. That sounds real fun, doesn't it, right there? Okay. He and all the things and all that belongs to him because he has transgressed the covenant of the Lord and because he has committed a disgraceful thing in Israel. Verse 16. So Joshua rose early in the morning and brought Israel nearby tribes. And the tribe of Judah was taken. Uh, now we got the tribe. And he brought the family of Judah near and he took the family of the Zarahites and he brought the family of the Zarahites near man by man and Zabdi was taken. He brought his household near, man by man. 
and Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, the tribe of Judah, from the tribe of Judah, was taken. You think he's narrowing it down? Then Joshua said to Achan, My son, I implore you, give glory to the Lord, the God of Israel, and give praise to him, and tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. So Achan answered Joshua and said, Truly I have sinned against the Lord. And by the way, notice that right there? I've sinned against the Lord. We sin against people, but we also, in every sin, sin against God. Did you know that? Joseph says that. David says that when he repents. I've sinned against, every sin is against God, but we also sin against other people in those sins many times. Verse 21. When I saw among the spoil a beautiful mantle from Shinar, Shinar is in the area of where the Tower of Babel was. And 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold, 50 shekels in weight. Then I coveted them. Coveting is one of the Ten Commandments. Is it not? Do not covet? Yep. Okay, good. And took them. And behold, they are concealed in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath it. Okay, here we go. We're first going to look at Achan's mistakes. Because we can learn from his failure. Very many good things. The first thing in your notes is this. He gazed too long at the spoil. In verse 21, it says, he saw it. He says, I saw it. He kept looking at it. Eve looked at the fruit. She kept looking at it, right? David's on top of the roof of his palace. He sees Bathsheba down there bathing because his palace, if you ever go to Israel, his palace sits up higher as as the hillside goes down. David he looks down, he sees Bathsheba. He kept looking at this woman. And that's why you must be careful what you set your eyes upon. Because you can set your eyes upon things that do not belong to you. Now, that's the first thing he does wrong. The second thing is this, in your second bullet point. He reclassified the treasures. This is a big one now. He reclassified the treasures. When you're done right filling that in, let me show you what I mean by that. There's a little, little statement, a few little change of statements in here that are very interesting. Now, Let's look at, uh, back up one chapter. Look at chapter 6 and verse 19 very quickly. This is when God first gives the instructions of what they can't take. He says in verse 19 of chapter 6, But all the silver and gold and articles of bronze and iron are holy to the Lord. They shall go into the treasury of the Lord. So the treasury of the Lord. These are treasures. Now, with that said right there, look at chapter 7. Look at verse 21. Now watch what Achan, how he describes the stuff. He says, and when I saw among the spoil a beautiful man of Mishana, what pro- what, where's the problem? What happened? What did he call it? Beautiful. Call it spoil. He didn't call it treasures of God. Do you catch this little thing right there? This is not spoil. Because spoil is what goes to the conquering soldiers. They get to keep it. He reclassified the whole thing and he called it spoil when it's not spoiled. It's the treasure of God. See, when God identifies something a specific way, we have no right to reclassify it and change it, right? And we're doing this in America all the time. A man's not a man anymore. He might be a woman. A woman might be a man. They're reclassifying everything. Am I right on that one? Yeah, when I get to chapter 5 of Ephesians, you better hold on to your seats, man. We go, we go into stores. Does it say Merry Christmas or Happy Holidays? How many of you like me when somebody says Happy Holidays? I go Merry Christmas. Anybody do that? 
And you know, 99% of the time, they're very thankful you do that. They're really thankful you do that. But it's been reclassified. In my mind, I, I want to sit there and ask them, so why are we buying gifts for people then? Why are you advertising to me if it's just a happy holiday season, right? It's not a Merry Christmas. It doesn't even make any sense anymore. But they reclassify and reclassify and reclassify. Now, the third thing he does is he coveted. He coveted. So, instead of, after the victory of Jericho, instead of singing praises to God from his heart, in his heart, he covets the gold and silver. And I use the word sing praises because he's from the tribe of Judah, and the the word Judah means what? Praise. And he doesn't praise God. He covets from his heart instead. Now, and the fourth bullet point is this. He thought he could get away with it. Where does he put it? Do you guys know? I I don't think I read that far yet. He buries it in his tent, inside his tent. You ever think about this? Just I, This is kind of the way my mind thinks. You ever think that maybe when they had people over for, for I don't know, like bunko or whatever in his tent, and, and somebody took a seat and it was right over the spot where it's buried? Can you imagine what he was thinking and feeling at that time? If something like that happened, like, <gasps> you know, that's where I buried the stuff. It's right here. Now, he hides it. He, he tries to hide it. Adam and Eve sin. Do they try to hide? Yeah, yeah, they tried to hide. Samson, he couldn't hide it. He thought he could keep doing what he's doing. He kept doing do it till that moment in, in Judges 16, I think verse 21, when he says, where it says, and Samson did not know the Lord had left him. That's a sad verse, huh? It's a sad verse that the Lord left him. Now, and then David, does he think he can hide his sin with Bathsheba? She's pregnant. And he goes to way great lengths to hide the sin, right? He tries to bring that boy Uriah home, get him drunk, go sleep with your wife. He won't do it because his comrades are out at the front line. So David finally has to send him back with a note. He's a messenger now, gives it to Joab. He says, send him to the front line of the worst battle and retreat from him and, and let him die. And David thinks, I got rid of that guy. Therefore, I've covered my tracks. I got away with it. Did David get away with it? You guys want to see what David felt for one year? Yes or no? I do too. Okay, look at Psalm 32. Watch what David was feeling for one year that he's hiding his sin. And David's the one who writes this. When you're there, say I'm there. He says, how blessed... Is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered? He starts off with a great statement, does he not? It's just a, he's a, it's a, such a blessing. And the word blessed means happiness. Oh man, gosh, it's such a blessing. I'm so happy that my sin's been forgiven. But then he's going to take you into the dark place. How blessed is a man whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent about my sin. My body wasted away. The words wasted away means to wear out and become like an old man. His body's affected because of his sin. Through my groaning all day long. The guy's got tremendous grief. And by the way, did I tell you that this is, commentators believe that from the moment he has your eye killed, to the moment he repents when Nathan confronts him, it's one year. One year. This is what's going on inside of him. One year. 
For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. Vitality, a simple word, means moisture, vigor. In other words, he's drying out on the inside. Then he says, I acknowledge my sin to you, and my iniquity I did not hide. In other words, I came clean. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And here's the beautiful part. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. Selah. Do you know what selah means when you read it? Stop and meditate. Don't read on too quick. Stop and think about what you just read. Let it sink in. So you really grasp what's going on here. Now, let's go back to Joshua because we've got to get moving here. Now I'm going to read verses 16. I'm going to back up a bit and read 16 to 26, okay? In fact, you know, we don't have time to go back. Let me, let me just pick up at verse 21 because you guys already know what's happening here. You already know how he went through the whole thing to figure out who's who, right? You got that one part? Okay, good. You keep that in your head. Verse 20. When I saw among the spoil a beautiful mantle from Shinar and 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold, 50 shekels in weight, then I coveted them and took them, and behold, they are concealed in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath it. So Joshua sent messengers. Now Joshua's going to go see, let's see if the evidence is there of the guy's sin. Evidence is important. And they ran to the tent. And behold, it was concealed in his tent with silver underneath it. They took them from inside the tent and brought them to Joshua and to all the sons of Israel, and they poured them out before the Lord. So now it's there. Everybody sees it. Here's the evidence. Then Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, the silver, the mantle, the bar of gold, his sons, his daughters, his oxen, his donkeys, his sheep, his tent, and all that belonged to him, and they brought them up to the valley of Achor. Mm, Now what's going to go on here? Joshua said, Why have you troubled us? The Lord will trouble you this day. And all Israel stoned them with stones. And they burned them with fire after they had stoned them with stones. They raised over him a great heap of stones that stands to this day. And the Lord turned from the fierceness of his anger. Therefore the name of the place has been called the Valley of Achor to this day. Which means trouble. Trouble or troubler. Now, the discovery of the sinner. Now, in your notes, here we go. Here's what they do. First off, no one can hide from God. Amen? Yes or no? The methodology. Gather all the people. Tribe of Judah, step forward. Okay, all you guys, all Judah here now? Okay, now we're going to go to the Zerahites within the tribe of Judah. You guys step forward. Okay. Now, a certain family, where's Zabdi at? Zabdi, step forward with your family, your little family there, your kids. Now, if you're Achan, because Zabdi's your daddy, and they're narrowing it down, and you're seeing all this happen, what are you thinking about now? It's over, man. I've been caught. And then he says, Achan, you step forward now. Hmm. Now, I want you to think about a few things. Can I give you a little sidebar, by the way? Because it's just, it's just, the Bible has all these little cool things if you look into them. Okay, so Achan, is it, Achan took what, what, what didn't belong to him, right? R- right, yeah? Okay, Achan is from the tribe of? Judah, say Judah. If you went back to Genesis chapter 38, 
you would find in chapter 38 of Genesis that Judah, that head of the whole tribe years earlier, who's one of the 12 sons of Jacob, that Judah, he has a son that dies. His son dies, and uh, through a series of circumstances, Judah and his son had a wife. The wife dresses up like she's a prostitute, and she lures him in. And Judah has sex with her. She gets pregnant. And then, and Judah, long story short, then she has these kids. She has twins. Perez, and she has the other one, Zerah. Of the, that, the Zerahites. Now think about that. Achan has the ancestor Judah who took what wasn't his, this woman, and bad stuff happens, and on down the line, you have Achan, who's a descendant of this guy, and he takes what doesn't belong to him, and he suffers for it too. Do cycles follow families? You better believe it. You better believe it. That's why one of the big deals in parenting and grandparenting, break the cycles. Break the cycles of the family, be honest about them, and begin to input new godly cycles so you break the generational cycles that you don't want anymore because you want the right stuff in there. Now, the second thing, bullet point, is this, the confession. Now we go to the confession. Now look at in, over here, uh, uh, in verse 19, Joshua says to Achan, he says, my son, I implore you, give the glory to God. Now what does he mean by that? He's simply telling Achan by saying, give the glory to God. He is telling him, tell the truth. Just tell the truth. And Achan confesses and he says, I coveted and I've sinned against the Lord. Uh, So he confesses. Now, he confesses and then they go to the tent. He says, "Go, go look in the tent where he said it was. And what do they bring back? The stuff, right? So you have to have the evidence, correct? In order to convict, correct? Not anymore. Not anymore. That's not anymore. I want you to think about something. They bring Jesus to Pontius Pilate. And Pont- because they can't kill Jesus. They can't because the, the, the Jews can't carry out capital punishment. It's been taken away from them, which is a prophecy of, of earlier times, and it comes to pass. So they can't kill Jesus. So they, so they bring Jesus up on charges of blasphemy, the religious leaders. When they bring him to Pilate, it's insurrection. And when they bring him to Pilate, Pilate says, he asks the question, what evil has he done? In other words, what has he done? What's the evidence? What, what's going on here? And they say, if this man were not an evildoer, we wouldn't have brought him up to you. What are they saying? Just trust us. We don't have any evidence. He's a bad guy. That's exactly where we live in America right now. And we can criticize it, but you wouldn't want that to happen to you. Nobody would at all. Now, the next thing is the judgment. Bullet point, the judgment. Ah, oh, the judgment. This is not fun. Okay, the judgment. So they get the evidence. He confesses his sin, and the punishment is Achan, his wife, his kids, the animals, everything, stone him to death. Okay, <clears throat> kind of harsh, right? Yeah? Yeah? Okay. Let me throw a curveball at you, not in your notes, and then I'm going to answer the curveball. 
Now turn just one book to the left, Deuteronomy 24. Because Achan's the one who sinned, but they killed the whole family off. Well, in Deuteronomy 24, tell them, say, say I'm there. So this is the curveball, guys. Now look at verse 16. Fathers shall not be put to death for their sons, nor sons, shall, nor sons be put to death for their fathers. Everyone shall be put to death for his own sin. Huh. But they kill the family. But the word says, no, the kids don't pay for the parents' sins. Let me say this before I answer the question. One of the false ideologies in our country right now is this. That we who are alive right now need to pay for the ancient grievances of the past. I didn't commit those sins. Neither did you. So why am I going to pay? And no one's suffering from those things right now. I got in an argument with somebody. An argument, maybe I punched him. No, I didn't punch him. Um, no, but I was very strong about it. I just said, look, uh-uh. When they try to push us on me, I said, no. The Bible says this. And I, they weren't a believer, so it didn't matter. But I just told them what the Bible says. I said, no. The, the, the kids do not pay for the parents' sins. It's that simple. And I go with what God says. And it's that simple. Okay, that's a side note. But here's the thing. They killed the kids, didn't they? Why are the kids killed? Why is it, why, what's going on here? What, what's the pro, what happened? Here's, here's what I think, and, and it's an I think, and I think I'm right, but um, for the family to be stoned, that means they had to have what? They had to have known. They had to have known. They had to have known. He brought the stuff in. He goes, family, they say, okay, bury it over there. We don't read that, but you have to assume that because that's the only way to answer the question. They must have been complicit. Oh, you got this stuff good. Even though they all knew you're not supposed to take this stuff. You need to leave this stuff alone. So they had to have known. And that's the answer to that question. Why do they get stoned? I mean, the, the Bible says don't, don't do that. Now, here's my other big question. Why the drastic elimination? Why? Why is it so intense? Why? Come on, there's a couple of gold bars. This, come on, why? What's the big deal here? Well, you could argue that 36 men lost their life in the battle of Ai, life for life. You could argue that one. But let me give you another way of looking at why. And this, you won't come back to, to Joshua. So turn with me to Acts chapter 5. You guys ever heard of Ananias and Sapphira? Okay. It's a great parallel companion story to this. There's a lot of similar, there's similarity to it. When you're in Acts 5, say I'm in Acts 5. Okay. Now, now, we're going to read 11 verses to bring up one point that correlates to Joshua in this situation. Acts 5. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. Okay. Ananias means God is gracious. Sapphira, Sapphira means beautiful. But their lives aren't so gracious and beautiful, watch. And kept back some of the price for himself with his wife's full knowledge. Oh, there's complicity right there. 
and bringing a portion of it, he laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said to Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back some of the price of the land? Now, here's the deal. You've got to understand this. From that, you have to assume now that Ananias has come forward and said, we sold it, and here's all of our profits from this. He has lied is what he's done. So don't assume anything other than that. That's the implication of the story. That's why Peter says that whole thing, you kept back some of it. Because he must have said, this is all of it. He didn't have to give all of it. Nobody forced him to give all of it. He could have said, I want to give 25% of what... But he doesn't. He comes forth and he lies. He wants to take more credit than there is. Verse 4. While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not under your control? Why is it that you have conceived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. Now stop right there. If you ever want to look at one of the statements that proves the Holy Spirit is God, you find it right here. Look at verse 4 again. Satan filled your heart to lie to who? Verse 4. To, verse 3, I'm sorry. To lie to who? The Holy Spirit. And then in verse 4, you have not lied to men, but to God. God. So the Holy Spirit is God. Is God. There's one of the... Let me evidence right there. Verse 5. And as he heard these words, Ananias fell down and breathed his last, and great fear came over all who heard it. So Ananias drops dead right on the spot. That's pretty heavy, isn't it? The young men got up and covered him up, and after carrying him out, they buried him. I always, always wonder, why the young men? Is it because us older guys would pull a muscle, or what would we do it? But the young man, they come in, they pick him up, and they carry the dead body out. And they bury him. Verse 7. Now there elapsed an interval of about three hours. So three hours go by. His wife's not there. And his wife came in. Now she's showing up now. Not knowing what had happened. She don't know her husband's dead. She don't know that he's, all this stuff's going on. And so here it comes in verse 8. And Peter responded to her, tell me whether you sold the land for such and such a price. And she said, yes, that was the price. That was a bad answer, okay. That was the wrong answer. So she's lying. Then Peter said to her, why is it that you have agreed together to put the Holy, to put the Spirit of the Lord to the test? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out as well. And immediately she fell at his feet and breathed her last, and the young men came in and found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband, and great fear came over the whole church and over all who heard these things. First off, if I'm there in that group of people, and Peter, after that experience, if he ever asked me, how are you doing, Jim? I go, I'm doing terrible, man. <laughs> just bad, just bad. I'm a, I'm, sin, I'm a sinner, okay? Okay. So why, or can you see any correlation between the Joshua story and the Acts story? First you could see that somebody dies, right? Because somebody lied and somebody's in sin. You could see that right there. You could see in both cases, it's a very harsh judgment. Can you not see that? But the question is why? Why such a harsh judgment in both situations? And here's what I, I've read over the years from commentators and scholars, and here's what their conclusion of this in these situations, and it makes sense, that in the book of Acts, is the church very young? Is, is it in its, in its inception toddler phase? You better believe it is. In Joshua, they've just come into the land. 
Are they in their toddler inception phase in the land? Yes, they are. So in both cases, the nation is very young, just beginning out really in the promised land. In the book of Acts, the church is just beginning out. They're both, they're wobbly. They're not strong yet. And so it just makes logical sense that when sin comes into the organization in this wobbly nature, you've got to eliminate the sin because it will infect a very young wobbly nation and a very young church trying to get off the ground. Does that make sense? Makes perfect sense to me. That's why it's a very unique situation. Now, let me give you the last thought. It's a quick one and we're beat when we're done. So Achan... Did Achan cross the Jordan River with everybody? Did he see the, the Jordan parted? Say yeah. Was Jacob a son of the covenant? Yeah. And so, a- so Achan decides, I'm going to take the stuff. And he dies for it. He dies over it. After he dies, we're going to see next time. Now they're going to go fight Ai, and the strategy is incredible of what God tells Joshua what to do. And they win. And this time, because it's the second city that they're attacking, all the soldiers get to keep the spoil. If Achan would have waited, they'd have just waited. But we all know what it feels like to get impatient, huh? and not wait, and not wait. One of the worst things we get impatient as Christians, especially young Christians, when you're dating, you can't wait for sex. Wait! You're going to ruin it by not doing it God's way. Wait till you hear the I do. Wait till the ring's on the finger, and you're going out to that honeymoon. Wait. Wait. Otherwise, you're going to kill the very thing that you wanted in your life. Learn to wait. Amen? Amen. Let me pray. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your word, God, because boy, does it challenge us. And boy, does it help us. Thank you, Lord. Father, I pray, God, for safety on the road tonight. It's a rainy night, God. Again, thank you for the rain. And blessings on everyone here. In Jesus' name, amen. If you need prayer or dedicated your life to Christ, please reach out to us on our social media, on Facebook and Instagram at NBCC Norco, or email us at hello at NBCC.com. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to share and subscribe to this podcast.